Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast. This is our ninth episode. We post new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm joined by NBA salary cap expert Eric Pincus. Eric writes for Bleacher Report. He's the capologist for NBA TV and Basketball Insiders, and he's also the co-host of the Hollywood Hoops podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric Pincus. Eric, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Alex. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, let's talk about this offseason. I feel like this is going to be a very weird offseason. Obviously, it's going to be unprecedented. Uh, there's been some talk that the training camps for next season could start on December 1st. We have the draft on November 18th. So that means we're going to have a condensed free agency period where we have an action-packed, what, 12 days where we're going to see a ton of signings. And now, you know, in, in a usual year, we see a ton of signings in that first week, week and a half, and then things, you know, get quiet a bit. And There's only a few signings here and there. But what are what do you expect out of this offseason? And what do you think of the fact that it's going to be so condensed and everything's going to be jammed into, you know, we'll have the draft, free agency, and the start of training camps in a 12-day span. I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? I'm I'm still waiting to get the news that it's actually going to happen. I know that that's what the league is pushing for, uh, but there's so much that needs to be resolved in that uh, we we were talking about an economic situation where uh, the players and, and the league have to come together and agree on how this season is going to look from a financial you know, salary cap, luxury tax point of view. How's it going to look as far as a schedule point of view? That's a whole giant project for teams or for the league to put together and then for the teams to uh, then put into play and and to plan for. It's a a lot of work and you're just talking about packing it in. It's going to be hard on the teams. It's going to be hard on the players and not all players because eight eight teams haven't played since March and eight teams were done what like, what was it, July or August? August, August, yeah. Right? And then... Another group was done mid-August, and then you had the what the final eight, final four, final two, and and they just finished up like a like a few weeks ago. <laughs> it's like crazy. So like I need to see that everybody agrees that this is the right thing, uh, both on the money side and then on the logistics side. And I know that like front offices and players are generally against this for the most part. I would not say all i mean certainly the teams that haven't played since march are probably like let's do this but i think a lot of teams are are not favorable to this but uh that's more the front office and we're not talking about like the the people who own the teams who may be able to do better financially under very difficult circumstances maybe the money will win out here so i I would like to see it push back to martin luther king day maybe somewhere in january give a little bit more uh, you know, time, even if it's two weeks or three weeks, or just give it a little bit more time to breathe. But at the same time, if basketball comes back, I'm not going to be angry. I mean, I'm, you know, this is what we do for, for a living here. So to, to be involved and to have business, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because a lot of the players are speaking out. I know Danny Green said if, you know, they have a veteran team. So I know he had made a comment to the ringer, I believe, that uh, LeBron James may not show up for the first month if that's the case. Uh, And some players may not show up if it is December 22nd. And then like you're saying, you know, I know front offices, they're thinking, okay, well, we usually have time to just focus, you know, exclusively on the draft and then kind of shift into free agency mode. If free agency starts two days later, then these guys are going to be trying to prep for both. And that's going to be 
really interesting and, and kind of a mess. So, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of people that are kind of against this. Uh, I'm curious to see what the NBA ends up doing here. Do you think, because like you mentioned, there's eight teams that didn't get invited to the bubble. So really, they've been prep, you know prepping for their offseason for months and months now. Do you think it's possible that some teams started having conversations with players and agents you know, a while back. So even though it's going to be squeezed into a small, you know, week, week and a half span, do you think maybe there's more tampering or early deals happening than in a usual off season because things are so strange and people weren't even sure at one point if there was going to be a conclusion to the season, they didn't know if there was going to be uh, that, you know, the NBA was going to resume play. Do you think it's possible that these conversations have been happening for a while? And then really during that 12 day period, they just have to finalize them. I don't know how long it's been going on, but it's going on. I mean, players are, their representatives are leveraging for positions. And if you look team by team, uh, like for instance, the Raptors, that's just an example. Uh, and I'm not suggesting they're tampering, but Marcus All is reportedly going back to Spain. I think, I think he's done with the NBA and Serge Baca can leave as a free agent. So technically they don't have a center on their roster. So, I can guarantee you that if you're a center or your, your player is a center and you're an agent, that you're already reaching out to Toronto and just trying to get their attention. Now, maybe Toronto plays by the book and won't have conversations. Um, I don't know, but I can say that most teams, from my experience, are willing to at least have conversations. I, I think the league, for the most part, doesn't like it but isn't going to punish unless it leaks out, unless there's something real tangible to punish them on. I think they kind of understand that this is how things are and they have the right if they want to, uh, I don't know, subpoena is not the right word, but you know, basically uh, get the, the executives' phones and, and see their text messages. They're not allowed to delete those. Uh, and so you know, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. But yeah, of course, they're, they're trying to plan it out now. So it, it'll still be a, a mess, but I think the news that it might happen sooner than later probably sparked a bunch of agents to sort of move more quickly but it's also impossible to do because we don't know what the salary cap is going to be so we don't know what the tax line is going to be we don't know how much teams have to spend uh so it's going to be kind of i think chaos is really i mean people are freaking out to be honest i've talked to people with teams who are just like or agents who are just like i don't know man i don't know what this is bizarre so uh there'll be clarity it's normal for people to freak out when things are uncertain uh We'll be fine. We'll 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 get through it. It's just going to be a little bit uh, of of a of a rush once it's once it happens. Uh, I'm just eager and hopeful that they work these things out because that's great. Because if things don't work out, they could go to lockout. There's so many things that could happen in a negative space. Uh, if, if the worst problem is is that the league comes back too quickly, uh, I'm I'm I think I can live with that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I did an article at Hoops Hype, I think it was a year or two ago, about tampering in the NBA and a bunch of different agents, you know, went on the record, not on the record, they were off the record. And they were saying, you know, if you wait until the correct time or the legal time to talk with teams, then you're already way behind and that everyone does it and all these teams talk. And kind of like you said, the NBA looks the other way. And as long as it's not public and, you know, if you don't give the re- the NBA a reason to come after you and fine you, then you're good. Uh, so I think, especially in a year like this, where it is going to be condensed and there's been so much downtime, you know, the agents told me that usually those conversations start around the combine where you're talking with the team about 
the player that you represent in the draft. And then the conversation shifts over to your veterans and the free agents. So in this year where we've seen the number of interviews with prospects and the conversations that are happening around the draft, there are just so many teams are talking to a ton of draft prospects because they've had a ton of time to just sit back and set up interviews and watch film. So there's a ton of draft conversations happening. So I would say during those draft conversations, then I'm sure there's tons of free agency conversations happening too. So we'll see what that looks like. Uh, if, if come, I guess, November 22nd, November 23rd, if that's what we end up uh, agreeing upon the NBA, if that's the uh, start of free agency, we'll see how many deals happen in those first few hours. And because uh, that, that's always the funny thing to me, like, you know, a minute into free agency, we have a deal agreed upon. Uh, <laughs> the NBA knows that those teams, you know, and, uh, players and agents were talking beforehand. They just don't really act upon it. So we'll see what happens there. I- I'm curious to see what the dates are. And like you said, that information, it's really not out there yet, but hopefully that's agreed upon soon. Uh, you and I talked about this a few days ago, but there are only four teams that will definitely have significant cap space this offseason. The Knicks, Hawks, Pistons, and Hornets. Other teams like the Heat and Suns and even the Lakers could have cap space, but it all depends what moves they make, You know who they resign, uh, different options, things like that. Uh, with so few teams having cap space or guaranteed cap room, what are some ways that will impact this offseason, this free agency period? Well, there's, again, it's, 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 it is hard to, to know because we don't know the numbers. And that's really the, the, the key question to me is where's the tax line? Uh, and, and it's a little abstract what happens, but they could artificially keep the cap higher. But the higher you keep the cap or the tax line, the higher you that's that means if the tax line is higher, teams are going to be able to spend more. <clears throat> Excuse me, the more teams spend, the less everybody gets. Right. So it's it's a little abstract to understand that concept, but just look at it like there's a pool of water, right? Like a swimming pool of water, and that represents all the money. It, there's no way to increase that. There's no okay, we're not pouring there's no more money coming in. There's going to be a limited amount based on the, the circumstances that we're in uh, with the shutdown. And, and they'll, they'll come up with the projections, and, and it'll change as the season goes. We'll know more as we, as we get into the new year and, and, and we find out when they can have fans in the building. That would be fantastic. I'd be able to go back to Staples Center. I'm in L.A. That would be great. Uh, but we don't really know. And so the more uh, money that teams spend at large, what happens is they're going to have to counterbalance that because let's say – that there's a pool of, uh, let's say, $4 billion, and you raise the cap, the players are still only going to get that pool of $4 billion. If the teams spend more, it's got to come out of the players, and they have what's called escrow, where under normal circumstances, 10% of a player's check is withheld uh, by the team, really by the league. And so, for instance, if you make $10 million on a season, that's your contract, you get $9 million. And then at the end of the year... They look at all the numbers and maybe you get back your full extra million and you get your full money or maybe you don't get any of it back. And in this year, because of what happened with the shutdown, they actually raised that escrow to 25%. So now you're a $10 million player. You're getting seven and a half. If, if they push the cap up high enough we're, we, and if the income is low enough, we, we could be looking at like 35, 40% of, uh, in escrow. And that, so you're, you're allowing teams to spend more, and that'll get guys who are free agents money, which is good for the free agents. But how good is that for the guys under contract, right? Like if Chris Paul and LeBron are making that decision uh, and, and guys in the union are making that decision and they've got nice, big, lucrative contracts, 
are they going to be willing to give up more money to make sure the guys who don't have contracts get jobs right. at, at, at a higher price? You're just allowing more guys to get paid or maybe get, uh, they're, they're able to get an extra million or so. Uh, how important is that? So that's kind of the, the, the balance that they need to find. And all those decisions are going to dictate who can spend money because you, you mentioned most of the teams that like the Heat can definitely be a cap team. It depends on what they want to do with Gordon Dragic and, and what happens with Kelly Olynyk, who has an option. And and they could, if he opts in, they could also try to trade him. Team like the Knicks, maybe they're not ready to get uh, their next superstars. Maybe they're open to taking some youthful consideration. Uh, he don't really have draft picks, but um, you know, Casey Akpala, Chris Silva. I don't think none, but because I think they value him. But you know, maybe get a couple of young guys from the Heat uh, to take on Kelly Olynyk, something like that. Uh, and the Suns, like they have to decide on Dario Saric, uh, and like the Raptors have to decide on on Siakam and some of their other guys, not Siakam, I'm sorry, uh, Ibaka and some of their other guys. And you start going down the list, like uh, you know, the Kings could not pay uh, Bogdanovich, but I believe they want to, and if they do, probably don't you know don't have cap room. So these are like all dependent on options and, and re-signings and how high the cap is. But the rest of the teams are, are going to be looking at a range of either call it $10 million to spend in, in an exception. Uh, and not, and if the tax line is low enough, they're not even going to have that. They'll have closer to five and a half set, maybe 6 million to spend. So, you know, teams like the Lakers would have cap room if Anthony Davis leaves, but the last thing on earth they want is to have cap room. Right. Yeah. So they've got about 10 million to spend. But if the Lakers have $10 million to spend, but they decide to reward Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Rajon Rondo with big deals, now they're near that tax line. Uh, there's they're become there's a, a hard cap trigger, which limits what they can spend. And now suddenly they don't have $10 million to go after uh, who, whomever, whoever, whatever top free agent that the Laker fans might think their guys that their team is going to get. Now maybe they only have $6 million and they're competing with a bunch of teams that have $10 million. So well, this is kind of where we're at right now. I'm hoping uh, that we'll have resolution before the draft because I don't know how you go into the draft without at least a sense of how the future is going to be. Every year there's always uncertainty around the draft, but you have a projection that's usually within a million dollars by the league. So if the cap this year was – they pro- they projected 109. It came in at 109.14, right? So it, it wasn't exact, but you knew at the draft about what it would be. And right now, no one knows. And I don't know how you make a draft day decision. That's one of the busiest trading days of the entire year. How are you going to make a decision on that day? How are you going to plan for your future when you don't know what you can spend in the summer? And uh, there's just uncertainty of whether it's should you be rebuilding, should you be selling, buying. Should you be trying to take advantage of teams that can't afford their roster and want to get out of salary? Um, or are there gonna, is there going to be a plan to kind of alleviate that burden for teams that are struggling with money? Maybe there's some mechanism the league puts in and the players agree to that helps this. So, so much uncertainty, but uh, it's going to make it interesting, that's for sure, especially if you rush that timeline and all these decisions in this weird environment have to get made in like a, a very short span and we're back in business with like, in basically a month's time that i mean that's crazy 
Well, yeah, that was my next question for you. You know, I've heard different teams out there. Uh, obviously, some teams and some owners are hurting more than others financially. So some teams are saying, hey, let's try to sell off some draft picks. Let's trade away some of our larger contracts. And then some teams are saying, hey, we're doing pretty well. We're not really hurting that much. So be on the lookout for teams that are looking to sell because we want to be buyers and they're looking to try to bring in, you know, different players that are uh, on larger contracts that maybe their team doesn't want, but they would love to add. So I think you're going to have some buyers and some sellers, depending on how much uh, their owner or the team is affected financially. You know, how interesting could that make things where, you know, usually, I mean, we always see every year, there are some teams that are willing to trade draft picks for cash considerations or, you know, dump some of their players because they're trying to cut costs. But could we see a lot more of that this year? I mean, we could see the opposite as well because draft picks are cheap talent locked in on four-year deals. So True. if, you know, it's it's going to be a very subjective case-by-case basis because, like, I think the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, I think Mark Cuban and the Mavericks are fine financially. Uh, and we can just, you know, I don't know the books of, of, of all the teams and where they're at. That's not something they share. But you can look at what their owners, what the, the governors do for for their primary income and if they're in the cruise business if they're in the hotel business if they're in the restaurant business the travel business they're probably hurting right now especially if that's like their main businesses uh and main source of income how i mean that that's 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 difficult you know what i mean so uh there there could be some teams that uh are more willing to get out of salary and so like for instance the late picks uh, like the 20 to 30 range those picks pay at least in the first year about two million to two and a half, two point six million, and you have that player more or less at that salary for three years, and they bump up to about four million in the fourth year. That's pretty good. I mean that that's a that's it's not a minimum guy, but if you value the the talent there and think you can get rotation guys at those prices, that's that's a way to get value. So if you're worried about money acquiring those late picks might make a lot of sense. Whereas let's say you're in the top six or, or whatever. If I'm just going to throw out Atlanta just because, and it's not specific to what they might do that picks around 6 million, 5.8, right? So maybe they don't want to submit, they have cap room, but maybe they, they don't want another, I'm just guessing yeah. maybe they don't want another young player. They already have a lot of young players. Maybe they want more of a, a win. Now, uh, if you value the kind of talent you can get at six, they're going to be making $6 million basically for the next three years. That might be a little high uh, if it's a player who you don't think is really good, if you don't like the top of this draft. Or you could say, wow, we can get a starter at $6 million, and starters are generally like $10, $12 million at a minimum. This could be a great opportunity. So it's going to fluctuate team by team, case by case, owner by owner. And I'll just throw in one more wrinkle is that um, there's, there's certainly no initial plan to have fans in the building and a lot of times teams understand like okay we're kind of stuck and we do need to rebuild but we're worried about losing the gate we're worried about losing people coming into the building and and our fan base won't accept us like tanking so to speak so if there was ever a year where it, it doesn't matter this would be it because at the start of this year at least for probably half of it you may not need that you're, you're not going to get that you're not going to have fans in the seats. So maybe if you're the Thunder, and, and again, I'm just speculating on them, maybe you know, they did really well. They had a great playoff run. Maybe they don't sign 
Gallinari, and maybe they look to trade Chris Paul, which would be very difficult to trade because of his contract. But maybe now's the time to do that. Maybe they can have a down year without worrying about losing their fan base uh, because their fan base isn't going to be there anyway in person. And so they're not going to lose money that year. Um, again, it's case by case. They may not have any interest in that. Um, I'm just picking out random teams, but um, that's a great point, though. Know, it, it, I didn't think about that. That on. yeah, you could see that where teams usually wouldn't want to go down that path, but this year they're like, you know what? We're not really worried about uh, low attendance in these games because I've I've heard that before with teams where you know they're tempted to rebuild, but they want to keep certain players because they know that you know they they are gonna be able to sell tons of tickets. So yeah, that's a great point. I, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, going back to free agency do you think because there's only four teams with guaranteed significant cap room you know are we going to see more players that you know more talented players that could sign for the mid-level exception uh than usual where and that typically benefits teams that are contenders in larger markets like los angeles uh maybe miami uh, you know, different teams that I guess also, you know, if there's no state income tax, there's always little factors that, you know, are brought up, but could that happen this year where we see a lot of these guys that maybe a fan would think, Oh, that guy's going to get a huge contract in a normal off season, but he might be a mid-level exception type player in this off season. Is that a possibility? Well, we're going to, we're going to see, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, the NBA is is kind of cyclical, right? So around 2016, there was this tremendous amount of cap room and there were a lot of free agents. Uh, although there weren't nearly as many good free agents as there was cap room, so a lot of guys who probably shouldn't have gotten big contracts got them. And th- some of those deals are just coming off, but where we are in this particular year, w- if there was no shutdown, if there was no virus, all this stuff, we would still be looking at kind of a down off season because there really aren't a lot of top tier free agents they're they're just simply they're not they're not they're not out there yeah uh, if we assume that anthony davis resigns he's the he's the only mvp level candidate then really the next best free agent uh might be fred van vliet and yeah. i like fred a lot if brandon ingram is restricted i mean he's gonna get back he's gonna go back to right. new orleans well, so is it fred van vliet is it montrez harrell you know right like restricted players are a whole nother animal because even looking at that list, if you want to go after Brandon Ingram and you offer him everything that you can and the Pelicans decide, okay, that's fine. We'll keep him at that. Then he's not really, he is a free agent, but he's not really. And same with like Malik Beasley. He's probably in, and Bogdanovich with Sacramento, maybe Sharich, Sarich, Sarich with uh, Phoenix. But like after that, it's like, you know, yeah. restricted. There's not a lot unrestricted. The top guys are like David Davis, uh, or Davis Bertans, uh, Christian Wood. I mean, Danilo Gallinari. I think Joe Harris is interesting. But uh, where it gets interesting is someone like Evan Fournier with Orlando. Like, it, what does he do? He's got an option where he can make about $17 million in that range. Do you want to hit free agency when maybe all your choices are Detroit, New York, Atlanta, or uh, Charlotte, right? And Charlotte doesn't even have that much. Or is it better off if you're fornicated to take the seventeen million dollars and uh, you know, opt in and and then hit free agency next year when maybe some more of these situations are resolved? Yeah. Right? So you you might not have as many uh, free agents in the pool because it's probably I would say it's likely that a, a significant portion of the players opt in, and if they're all opting in, then it's a smaller class, and so. 
you know, the original question is what, that you asked was like, would a team like the Lakers have an advantage? Um, well, I mean, if the Pistons or the Knicks or who, if they're offering real money, then no, you, Lakers aren't going to have an advantage. And again, I, I mentioned earlier, Lakers might not even have the full $10 million to spend if they're overpaying to KCP, but they, they could trade somebody. They could move out. Like if uh, JaVale McGee opts in, I know the Blazers need a backup center and have a trade exception that would fit that money. So I'm not saying it happens, but I'm saying it's at least uh, you know feasible to make that argument that the Lakers could shed some money so that they could go after. But I don't know if Danilo Gallinari is the right guy for them to go after. You start going down the list. If they could get Jeremy Grant, I think we all saw Jeremy Grant like after the Lakers beat the Nuggets, LeBron got in his ear and was all over him. And the last time I saw something like that, it was like when he was in a Cavs uniform doing that with Lonzo, and then they became teammates. Of course, Lonzo is now gone uh, for AD. But like Jeremy Grant would be like the ideal fit for the Lakers who need a defender. But all the Nuggets have to do is pay him. And there's nothing that – I mean, certainly he could take less to go to the Lakers. But are, the Nuggets believed in you. You had a really successful run. And if they offer you $15 million a year and the Lakers are offering $10 million a year, I don't know why you're going to the Lakers. I mean, Grant hasn't really cashed in yet in his career on a big contract. Um, same, similar story, Joe Harris, right? Like you, you mentioned the Lakers. Imagine adding a shooter of Joe Harris's caliber to the Lakers. Yeah. But why wouldn't the Nuggets pay him? And the answer would be, well, they're going to be a really uh, expensive team because they've got a lot of players on that roster and maybe maybe he's a 15 million dollar a guy but if they aren't willing to do that then yes sure i mean maybe but wouldn't some of these other cap teams like would maybe the hawks if they're offering enough maybe he's willing to go there but seriously i think he's going to stay with the nets if they've got a money issue then they'll probably look down at the roster and say well who can we trade out of can we move like jared allen and maybe Torian Prince, or can we? It, it, they probably don't want to, but Spencer Dinwiddie's nearing the end of his contract. He can opt out and be a free agent in 2021. Maybe you move Dinwiddie and Allen and, and Prince and get a really nice player back, a third option back. I know some people have speculated Paul George with the Clippers. I don't know. I think there might have been some articles, uh, all rumor based on that. Yeah, I think Drew Holiday so there, was mentioned too. Exactly. Like there, there's Drew Holiday is is in a similar position as Dinwiddie, as Oladipo, as Giannis. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one or two more, but they're, they're you know, guys who can opt out or are hitting free agency after not this summer, but next summer. And if the teams realize, okay, we're not going to keep this player and they're going to walk, we're going to lose the value, get the value now. Um, the Nets could be in that kind of position, but you know, to bring it back to a team like the Lakers, uh, Joe Harris would be ideal uh, if you want a shooter. If you want a defender, it's Jeremy Grant. But you know, uh, their own teams, that's the difference is, yeah, there's not a lot of competition. And if you have a chance to go to the Lakers for $10 million and you have a chance to go to the Hornets for 15 at this point, if it depends on where you're in your career. Maybe you're going to the Lakers. Right. But Lakers, if the tax line's too low and they're paying KCP, they may not have $10 million. And then there's always that reality that, your existing team can pay way more. And so why would you leave to go play for less when you're, you've been playing for a team that believes in you and you've had success with what's the, you know, why, why go somewhere else for less money? Yeah. It would have to be like a Danilo Gallinari who's already 
you know, pretty much he hasn't said this, but I think it's pretty clear that he's not going back to OKC. And he said that even he would take less money to go play with the contender. Uh, so, I mean, it would have to be someone like that where, you know, maybe the money that they were expecting to get isn't out there. So he's obviously looking at a few destinations and thinks, OK, well, I can go win a ring with the Lakers or I know Miami had tried trading for him uh, last year at the trade deadline. And they were talking about a possible extension. And I think that's where things kind of fell apart. So someone like that potentially, you know, will look at certain contending teams or, uh, you know, teams that are maybe more attractive uh, aside from the teams that have cap space uh, if, you know, those teams aren't close enough to winning or something like that. But yeah, I see what you're saying. That's a good point, you know. <laughs> well, I, I'll connect a dot with uh, Gallinari. Now, I, I don't know that this happens uh, and I don't think it necessarily fits into the future of what the Detroit Pistons are trying to do. But let's say the Pistons hit the summer and they don't make any big investments but are willing to maybe kick their cap room down uh, the road to next year. And maybe they want to spend big on a player for one year yeah. uh, or a short-term deal. Uh, there's a tie between Danilo Gallinari and the Pistons. Uh, Arn Tellum runs the Pistons. He's, he's essentially their – he's not their GM, but he's kind of like the, the top basketball executive, certainly consulting to the owner or – uh, advising the owner, not consulting, advising to the owner. And his son is Michael Tellum. And Arn used to be uh, Gallinari's agent, and Michael is currently Gallinari's agent. So That's a great if you point. look at those dots <laughs> and you're like, I could see like, the you, you mentioned the Lakers. Let's say the Lakers are offering $10 million and maybe the Pistons are, are, I don't know what Danilo wants, and everyone says a lot about, yeah, chasing a championship. But if he gets like a one-year, like $18 million offer because the Pistons don't want to use their cap room on someone else, and this is the best use of their cap room is to make sure that they they have a, a, you know, a good enough team to at least you know, compete near the bottom of the East and, uh, and then take care of, of Michael and Arn and their relationships, I'm not saying it happens. I'm just saying sometimes these decisions are made beyond the basketball and sometimes are relationship decisions. No, that's a fair point. That's a that's a great point. Um, I have a question for you. This is not necessarily about free agency or this offseason as much, but you know, you do such a great job with your you know salary cap information. You do it for uh, Basketball Insiders, uh, NBA TV. I know you write these articles for Bleacher Report. You do a fantastic job with it. When you look around the NBA, which teams impress you the most? when it comes to how they manage the cap, I think more and more teams are getting smarter and hiring capologists, but which franchises do the best job when it comes to this? Uh, that's tricky. I mean, every, every team is sort of in, in their own position. Like if you're a small market team, you're faced with the reality um, that you probably can't draw free agents. So with that in mind, you have to be really aggressive either in the draft or in trade to get additional draft picks. Uh, and, and if you note over uh, in Memphis, they've got a really young executive, uh, Zachary Kleiman, who's um, only been in that position for a very short time, a couple of years now, two, three years. Uh, but I've been really impressed with how um, aggressive they've been to make deals. They've got like on their books, like eight or nine, I don't know, maybe seven, eight trade exceptions. They've got... Um, They've been willing to take on contracts that maybe weren't uh, ideal. You know, Dion Waiters. Uh, then they have Chandler Parsons, Dwight Howard, I uh, think too. But to make, the, yeah, to, and and um, yeah. So this, I'm looking at them. They, they, I think they moved off of Parsons, but they have Plumlee, Waiters, uh, 
Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley, Jordan Bell, and a few other guys yeah. all on what's called dead money, where they're not even on their. You know, they've got more players with dead money than they have players on the team. But um, that that's uh, a team that I look at and say, okay, they're they're making the best of how they need to operate. Uh, certainly, Sam Presti uh, with the Thunder has done a really good job. He's you see all the draft picks he got. Basically, they got they lost their two top all stars and somehow got better and have all the picks in the world. I mean, I, I don't know how you you, you got to bow down to that. Uh, I mean, I, I think Daryl Morey's been uh, you know obviously moved on from uh, from Houston uh, was really aggressive to push the boundaries of the rules and I think in some ways was very successful and in other ways less successful. Um, but I appreciated that he was. Uh, you know, really willing to to go there. You know, what I mean, to not just okay, let's not just take the rules for granted, but let's really try to explore new, interesting ways. I mean, uh, there's a lot of really stable front offices that just make good decisions uh, and are really well prepared, and then there's some that um, are more cavalier. Not meaning the cavaliers, but just more yeah. willing to 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 go out there and and to do kind of you know Daryl Morey kind of things and. You know, Miami's got a great reputation. Uh, I'd have to go case by case. Um, That's a good you know, There's list. a lot of teams like, you know, the, the um, oh, God, there was one team I was thinking. I mean, I know that David Griffin, when he was with Cleveland, if we do mention the Cavaliers, did a really good job of maximizing their assets in a lot of funky ways to try to get LeBron the kind of team he needed. So, um, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see who who climbs out on top and who stands out. But if there was a young one, I would say the Grizzlies and and uh, Zach's really standing out as as someone really aggressive and and understanding their position and trying to make the best of it. Speaking of the Cavaliers, I, I recently wrote an article about the Clippers offseason and how it kind of reminds me of the Cavaliers whenever they had LeBron James and they went and re-signed Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, Iman Shumpert. They basically were saying, okay, well, we're not going to have cap flexibility. So rather than lose these guys and have to try to replace them with a veteran minimum type player or mid-level type player, we're just going to really go all in on this group and and re-sign our own free agents. When I look at the Clippers right now with Marcus Morris and Montrez Harrell and, you know, some of the free agents that they have, I feel like they're kind of in the same boat where if they lose Montrez Harrell, they're not going to be able to replace him with uh, a veteran minimum player. They're not going to get the same level of, you know, sixth man of the year production from that kind of player. Marcus Morris was a really important piece for them that they traded for. If they lose him, then that's going to be a big blow to them. When you look at the Clippers, do you feel like their best option is just to re-sign their own guys and run it back? Well, they need a point guard. Uh, that was in my preseason breakdowns. I, I looked at a team and I said, this is just uh, a team that is too dependent on Lou Williams uh, who's not really a point guard, and too dependent on Patrick Beverly, who's not a, a point guard. Uh, not really. Uh, obviously, defensively, whatever, Beverly will go out of another point guard, but offensively, uh, he's not someone who can really run your team. And Lou can get you eight, nine assists in a, every so often, maybe more of like five or six uh, or four consistently. He's not really... His, his assist-making comes from his own creation, and a lot of them were to... Montrez and, and Montrez is very undersized for his position and he's not a power forward on this team. He's 100% a center. Doesn't play power forward. So they can't play Zubats and, and Harold together. So there's some fundamental flaws that need to be worked out. And I think if you want 
someone like uh, Kawhi Leonard or Paul George to be your primary playmaker, uh, they're not in the best roles for their skills. No, neither of those guys are LeBron uh, as a playmaker. I mean, they, they're incredible. And I'm not, um, you know, Kawhi's arguably one of the best in the game, but he's not like a, an eight assist a game, 10 assist a game, not uh, a night type of guy. Uh, and he can he can pass and can create and has gotten better at it. So I do think fundamentally they need to solve that. So <clears throat> keeping Morris makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, it gets into the whole issue of, you know, is there alternate money? And they can pay him uh, up to about $18 million without uh, using any of their exceptions. But uh, they, they do have to worry about the same thing that the Lakers do, which is if you are pay- – let, let's say you're paying Marcus Morris – same price, fifteen million. Now you're at about one hundred and thirty million in salary, and going over the tax isn't a problem. But if the tax line is low enough, and you have a hard cap, it could cap you at about one hundred and thirty-nine. So now you maybe you you looking at the number of players they have on the roster, they're not going to have enough to go after a guy at ten million. So now you start to think, well, can you trade? And if they bring back Montrez, they're certainly going to be over that tax. So I, I think this is a team that could be potentially looking to sign and trade Montrez Harrell out if they don't believe that they can beat teams like the Lakers and Jokic uh, with Harrell, that they need more size and they need a point guard. Uh, Maybe they look to be more traditional uh, up front and add another big body uh, or really a a power forward perhaps who can uh, stretch the floor and, and, but it is big enough to play defense, strong enough to play defense against AD, which is asking a lot. Uh, but I think more importantly than anything is getting a point guard on that roster. So if that comes at the cost of Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell and they blow it up, I don't hate on that. Uh, but at the same time, this team was pretty darn close to being like the best team in the league. So you don't want to like go crazy. Uh, but at the same time, are you, is it the right thing to do to reinvest in Montrez and find that you're, you've got all this money in this team and that maybe they're, Fatal flaw is no point guard. Maybe they're never going to be able to get over that hump and just be what the the Chris Paul era was, which was a really, really elite team that never got it done. That could be what they're looking at if they, in my opinion, if they don't get uh, a point guard who can, I'm not talking Reggie Jackson. I'm talking about like Rondo in his prime. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a big time scorer, but someone who can really run the show. Chauncey Billups is on their staff now. He's going to be on their bench. Chauncey Billups in his prime would be, or, you know, Kyle Lowry right now or Kyle Lowry of the last couple of years would be great for them. Someone who can lead them because Kawhi is not a leader in, as far as vocally. He's not a rally the, the, the guys and, and get everyone on the same page. And uh, to a degree that's been Patrick Beverly, but he's a little rough around the edges in this. Uh, I, I, he's a dog in, a, in all the good ways. Right. But I think they need somebody like you know, Lowry or Billups, you know, when he was, when he was with the Pistons, not, you know, where he is now, which is, you know, I'm happy that he's, He's uh, on their bench, or, or is, I don't know if that's official yet, but is is likely going to be on their bench. Yeah, Billups. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's tough, though. I feel like that's almost easier said than done. Like, a player like Billups or Lowry or, you know, the guys that were mentioning, I mean, wouldn't it t- it would take a ton to be able to land one of those guys? Just because, I mean, I could see them, like, I, the reason I mentioned Darren Collison is because they could have just added him as a free agent. Like, I know the Lakers are trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's more obtainable. You know, do you feel like uh, if it is someone, if it's a bigger, almost, they almost need a star uh, point guard is what you're saying. Uh, do you think that's obtainable for them? Is that realistic? Well, I mean, it's it's difficult. Um, 
I don't know if it needs to be like really a star point guard, but uh, it needs to be someone who commands uh, the team and guides the team. And if they're a 12 to 14 point scorer, that's fine, right? Like if they're like an eight assist guy with like a 12 and eight would almost be fine, you know, like uh, on this team with this many scorers, um, it's certainly feasible. But, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, Drew Holiday would be perfect for them. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie would be interesting. I don't know if Dinwiddie's proven enough, but at the same time, I think he's really talented and and would be an upgrade at as a, as more of a true point. Uh, although you know he's maybe a little bit more of a scorer, but um, I'd have to go case by case and look and see is is does that player exist? Uh, I think a lot of teams are looking at Drew Holiday. I don't know exactly how the Clippers would get there, uh, and especially because Paul George can opt out after this year. Yeah, those we we talked about that earlier about some of the guys who can opt out. We forgot about the Clipper too. Yeah, Paul George and Kawhi can leave after the season, so that diminishes their trade value to a degree uh, if if you're not getting a long term commitment from them. So uh, yeah, I don't know what the Clippers do, but I kind of see where their problems are. But everyone's sort of waiting to see what the cap numbers are and how this puzzle fits together. So the, and who are the buyers and who are the sellers? Uh, that if the Pelicans are not trading Drew, well then he's not. He's not in the conversation. If they talk to him and they talk to Lonzo and they look at their books and look at the future and say, wow, we can't afford this team with Brandon Ingram getting money and then Lonzo after him, that maybe it's time to trade the 30-year-old who doesn't fit in Drew Holiday, who doesn't fit with a bunch of guys who are in their low 20s or 25 at worst. Like the, I, I'd have to check their exact ages, but Ingram and, and uh, Lonzo and Zion are all real young. So maybe Drew's not on the same timeline. So I don't know how that impacts the Clippers, but at least um, having a guy like that on the market certainly opens up the possibilities. Yeah, I remember uh, The Athletic reported this, but the Clippers actually tried to trade for Drew Holiday whenever they were talking with Kawhi and trying to find that second star. This is before they found out that Paul George was available, but apparently the Pelicans said no. So I think they tried trading for Holiday. They tried talking to the Wizards about Bradley Beal. There was like a list of guys that they had reached out about and then ultimately you know heard no from those teams so then eventually stumbled uh, across the paul george opportunity um so yeah pretty interesting we'll see what the clippers do i'm really curious uh eric you do a great job with your hollywood hoops podcast that you co-host with uh you know josh martin you guys break down the lakers and the clippers you also do a fantastic job with basketball insiders nba tv and bleach report everyone make sure checking out eric's work and follow him on twitter at eric pincus eric thanks so much for doing this man i really appreciate it of course, Alex, anytime. Always always there for you whenever you need me. Keep up the fantastic work. Also, make sure you guys check out the streams that Eric's been doing. He does a great job with those. You can ask your questions, and he provides so much great information on his YouTube stream. So check those out. You can see the links on Twitter, at Eric Pincus. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are found. And until next time, thanks for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Greensupply.com. With everything going on in the world, it's more important than ever to stay safe. At Greensupply.com, you can purchase masks, hand sanitizer, and other important health and wellness products, which are all in stock with same-day shipping. Best of all, listeners get 10% off their order when you use the promo code ALEX at checkout. That's A-L-E-X for 10% off your order. They have KN95 masks, cloth masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies like forehead thermometers and UV boxes. Visit Greensupply.com today. That's Greensupply.com.